Get ready to go bananas, and welcome to the 13th ever episode of Any Ideas, the podcast about coming up with a podcast, and the first ever episode of Classic versus Reboot, uh, the podcast that we promise is not a cash grab. Uh, I'm Mitch Kreitzman alongside my co-host Jordan Kreitzman, and um, you know, Jordan, I thought that was a fun little quip, but we don't make any money off this. Oh, no, if anything, we lose money. Because, <laughs> I mean, time is money, right? So... <laughs> <laughs> and uh i use a lot of yeah. it on this <laughs> so um jordan i believe this is the first pilot we're doing uh that was the result of a poll i don't believe it went straight to pilot so okay so maybe not shout as good out to all those people there that have <laughs> shout out to all those people out there who have uh made their voices heard uh this is your this is your chance to prove yeah, yourselves. It, it maybe not as good as the other pilots, though, right? It, <laughs> I don't know, right? Uh, right. They might not be as good yeah, as I the mean, other pilots. Yeah, I mean, when we pilot something, it's gold off the bat. <laughs> That's one thing I've learned on this podcast, but no, during I mean, focus we, group, I don't know. We know that. <laughs> we're going we're yeah, to we'll find, find out. out. Uh, I mean, look, the concept of this one is simple. Uh we take a movie, a TV show, a video game, what have you. Uh, we take the original. We take the rebooted version of it. We review them both. Uh, we decide which one's better. We decide if it was something that needed a remake. Uh, we get into yeah, it. Yeah, we'll try not to always be biased to the classic. Because that's, I mean, that's the common narrative. Um, and in certain cases, right. it's definitely the case, uh, but, um, but we'll try to be in fair. certain <laughs> cases, um, perhaps today's, <laughs> yeah. we'll find out. <laughs> and Jordan, I got to say, uh, for the movie we picked today, after having watched both of them actually today, um, for the first time, I think this was pretty much the perfect pick for this pilot. Yeah. I think... I think it really hits the nail on the head for what this podcast could so, be. Yeah. So I'm excited oh, to yeah. talk about it. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about on this. Now, the the topic this week, Jordan, is Planet of the Apes. Uh, we're going to be discussing the original version from 1968 and the rebooted or I've also heard reimagined version from 2001. Yeah, so not um, the... Um, na- not the um, James Franco, not Dawn uh, of the Planet of the Apes. Stuff. Yeah, we're talking the Tim right. Burton classic? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> um, yeah, and this is also how I found out there are like five sequels to the original Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I did see that. Like, they don't look no, good. No, it's got to be kind of like uh, when 2001 came out with uh, 2010. <laughs> you remember that? Which I have not watched. I it can't be to good watch though. That. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jordan, let's go ahead and start by uh, getting into it here. We'll start with the classic, of course, um, the 1968's Planet of the Apes. Um, I mean, this is widely regarded as one of the most you know, influential science fiction movies of all time, mm-hmm. and with good reason. I mean, it, it's, such a, uh, it's such a cultural touchstone where so many things come up in the movie where you're just like, Oh, that thing that I watched that one time is a reference to Planet Get of the Apes. Get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get into it. Actually, even the um but 
going, going, gone. Did that come from this movie? You know when they do that in baseball? It couldn't have. I know they I they do, but I don't think it would have come from that. I would think no, too. I was leaning that way, but there's a part of me like, what if it did? <laughs> My assumption is that the movie was in reference to people saying that in baseball. That's what I'm hoping, too. But I guess I, I don't, don't know, know for, for sure. sure yeah. But I mean, some quick... Uh, some quick fun facts here, some quick uh, context for what we're looking at here in this movie. Um, it was uh, released in 1968, the same year as 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, I feel like it's a fair comparison. And um, in some ways, they're very even in terms of quality. Uh, in other ways, I definitely still prefer 2001. That's my own personal well, taste. The, but the, fe- the effects in 2001 are way better. I mean, you can make an argument. Yes, that, uh, like the costume design and the the makeup and Planet of the Apes was where all the money went. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the spaceship stuff. It's <laughs> for sure, for sure, agree. Yeah. Um, now, this movie was co-written by Michael Wilson, who uh, actually wrote Lawrence of Arabia and Bridge on the River Kwai. So definitely, you know, good okay. pedigree there. And Rod yeah. Serling, Twilight Zone master. Isn't yeah. that crazy? No, you didn't know that. The, yeah. I didn't know that until I researched this yeah, movie. Yeah, no, he's um. The, I did know that because I'm a bit of a, bit of a Rod Serling fanatic. But uh, yeah, I believe he's the one that originally adapted the screenplay or adapted the book rather for a screenplay, right. and then I think Michael Wilson basically re- not rewrote it necessarily, but like put his own work into it to ultimately create what was used for the movie. Right, I think probably refined it and. Yeah, that type of thing. Right. But it's got, especially the, I mean, the this, first act of the movie, it's got a very Rod Serling yes. spin on it. It's very this Twilight movie has This movie has yeah. Rod Serling written all yeah, over yeah. it. Like, um, it feels very much like To Serve Man, that yeah, episode. Yeah, it's uh, uh, philosophical-based, and, um, you know, Mitch, they actually provide a little bit of background on the characters, something entirely lacking in the second movie. <laughs> oh, my. I mean, that... The the character development in uh the original is great. I, I really like the the route that they take with it. Um now the movie starring Charlton Heston, who many people know from movies like Ben Hur and Ten Commandments on top of this one, you know, I did not know a lot about Charlton Heston. I was very impressed by his performance He's in got this charisma. movie. He brings <laughs> such a specific yeah, vibe to yeah. this movie. And he's like the perfect actor for a Rod Serling story. Just something about yeah, who he brings to who he brings to the story is very interesting agree, to me. Yeah. Um the movie's got an 8.0 on IMDb and a 79 Metascore, both definitely solid oh, numbers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's some, like, and I, I feel like the only reason people would bring it down any is, yeah, there's some, like, 60s cheesy moments for sure. Um, but, I mean, and, yeah, and we'll but it's those. like, I mean, this other than that, I mean, I was, uh, this is the first time I really sat down and watched that movie all the way through. And uh, very impressed. That was good oh, movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, a uh, movie had a budget of $5.8 million, which in 1968 is pretty, pretty hefty. It's a good-sized budget. Uh, worldwide gross of thirty two point six million. Nice. So that's you know that that made a lot yeah. of money back. Um, and this movie was selected for preservation in the Library of Congress uh, for being considered culturally, historically, or aesthetically <clears throat> significant. 
Uh, that's so something the, uh, the apes will see thousands of years from now as they <laughs> tear through our libraries. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I let's let's go through the movie beat by beat here. I, I've, I've got notes all through all through the story. So, um, you know, just starting off, you basically have Charlton Heston monologuing in the spaceship before he goes into his uh, like hyperbaric chamber to go into hypersleep or whatever they call it. Um, and I'm, I want to say that he lights a cigar in this scene yeah, and is like smoking a cigar on the spaceship as he Real monologues. Chill. Yeah. No, no um, smoke alarms in that thing. And I truly, this is like so many movies for me. I cannot get enough of that sixties, like retro futuristic aesthetic. Oh, yeah. It's great. Something about it just nails it every time. Like whether it's done well or not, it's just such a specific, like appearance that I mm-hmm. really enjoy. So that right off the yeah, bat, I was but, in. But Mitch, I and, can't say enough how much like the first ten minutes of this movie is just like one of the outer space episodes in Twilight Zone. Like it's like it's yes, like, yeah, I mean, it's very yes. like it brings you right into like the um like the quote unquote physics of like what's going on and <laughs> like yeah, it's right. great. Well, and then and then he goes into hypersleeping to get the title sequence. Uh, and with the title sequence, the really the only thing that I have written down is that the the score is so well done. Awesome. Yeah, um, it it creates this really like dissonant feeling of like discomfort. Like you feel like on edge. Yeah. From the title yeah. sequence, like it give, it really gives you an idea of what to expect. Um, but then right at the beginning of the movie is where I definitely notice the practical effects in this movie are not great yeah. especially in comparison to 2001 like the fact that they came out in the same year and that's not necessarily a knock against planet of the apes just because um 2001 was such a marvel for its time you can't really blame other movies that came out in the right. same year because yeah. of that but i i mean from here um the um their spaceship crashes down Onto the Very planet. Very 2001 um, sequence to crash, by the way. The <laughs> yes, <laughs> the for camera sure. And the music. It's, yeah. it's basically just like a flyover shot of the Grand Canyon that they just kind of rotate around in yeah. weird ways. <laughs> Flip them upside down and goes. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Um, and then they they land in the water, slowly start sinking down. Um, this is the part that got the first laugh out of me from this movie. They all wake up and just have full beards. And I don't know why that really got me. I was like, okay, well, if that isn't classic film right there, it's like, oh, they all have facial hair to show the passage of time. Um, and then the uh, and the then, woman has kind of a different passage of time there, huh? Yes, the, we. They, this is where we find out that the the woman on board did not make it. Um, and the way they do like show the three of them with their beards and like the music gets scary as it pans over to her chamber. I was half expecting her to have a beard, but being (laughs) alive, (laughs) but they time it perfectly (laughs) with like the uh, water pressure breaking the, the ship, right? Cause they're like shocked. And at the same time, you can kind of hear the, the door bust open. Right. And it's like, if you were making like a Mel Brooks style parody of planet of the apes, that would be, the move they would yeah. do in this scene is she would just have a beard, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the ship is underwater, and then it's 
you know, it starts leaking and that then they eventually escape. Um, and the, the ship is completely done. They watch it sink from outside of the lake or whatever. And that's where you get the going, going gone from uh, Landon. Um, now a classic phrase. Yeah. Used so in baseball. I, <laughs> I'm going to yep. stick with that. <laughs> all, all thanks to planet of the apes. Um, and you know, so they're now like on this planet permanently, which is like, this is one part of the movie I don't necessarily love. Is like, there doesn't seem to be any like genuine fear from any of the three of them from like the fact that they are completely stranded on a mysterious planet for the rest of their lives where they like haven't found any civilization yet at well, this point. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, so the one character they, I mean, so Charles, when they get into Heston's character, he's kind of a guy who's apparently always forsaken earth, never found what he was looking for there. And is actually borderline excited to be stuck there. <laughs> I got to say, yes, you, you, you figure that out from him pretty quickly. Yeah, the other two, um, I mean, the black guy doesn't really talk, which is a bummer, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah but hey they yeah. included a black well, guy okay the <laughs> that's, that's you know that's what Jordan, when i get into the when i get into the fun facts for the 2001 version you're gonna marvel at how progressive this one was <laughs> oh i'll say God. that much mitch i'm not gonna lie um, uh, just a quick thing on the two on the on the mark Wahlberg version i had a real hard time watching that i i just like i i zoned out a couple times i'm not gonna lie it was tragic <laughs> oh i mean we'll we'll for sure we'll for sure okay, get into okay. it um so you know they believe to be all these light years away from their planet on an unknown planet but also don't know what led to the crash they just kind of wake up and it crashed yeah, maybe there's some sort of hope um, still that they're on some advanced uh, civilization type of planet where you, they might right. get back home or something but but then again, Heston makes it and pretty clear. He's like, everything you've known and loved has been gone for 200 centuries. Yeah, he... Deal with it. <laughs> he really just lays into that. He's like, give up everything you've ever loved, I'm, dead for thousands of years. I'm sure you have a, in your notes, you have something about the flag that um, the other... Uh, well, oh, Landon? boy. Yes. He, uh, so yeah. the, the, tension, the tension between Taylor, Charlton Heston's character, and Landon... Uh, is being built from the beginning. They clearly just have very differing like personalities. And I'll admit this is something that I expected to be used later in the movie. I was kind of surprised that it didn't the way that they were like building the tension no, between yeah. them. Um, when I wrote down like, like in this movie so far, Heston's like a little too calm, like almost manic. Yeah. And um, yeah. And at one point Landon uh, plants that little tiny flag, like inside of the rocks and Heston just starts laughing like an insane yeah, like person. the Joker, like, and it's like, and it doesn't even line up with his mouth. Like, they just, they did something in film, right. and then in post, they were like, all right, you need to really extend this laugh out. <laughs> and I don't know why. And, and something, something that seems to have been since phased out of film that was very common in the 60s was that really quick zoom oh, in. Oh, I was you totally going to bring about? that up. There are where, so many where, zoom-ins that remind me of, like, The Graduate. It's just, like, <laughs> they get in where these it, close like, zoom where it, yeah. Where it doesn't seem to belong in any context, right? Yeah, no. It's, like, it's weird. It's very weird. That was very popular um, for, like, late 60s, and that's it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> right. Well, so I wrote down a line from Heston that I really, really enjoyed. Um 
I'm really blanking on the context to it. It's like something, it's something that Landon said that Heston just seemed to be like really like pathetic or like depressing or whatever. And Heston just says, chalk up another victory to the human spirit. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. that's that's such a good sarcastic There's another line. funny thing, too, where he's, I think, wait, is it Landon the one he's always at odds with? No, it's, um, yeah, Land- yes, Landon's it's Landon. like over away from the other two. <laughs> and like Heston's just like, Landon, come join the expedition. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know why yes. he said <laughs> <laughs> Landon, come join the expedition. <laughs> But truly, throughout the movie, I was just like, Charlton Heston is just a well of charisma. Like, he... Yeah. Truly, like, when they talk about how they're... How you truly don't have movie stars anymore, like, this is what the... This yeah. is what they mean. <laughs> you don't have like, a guy like this. People like this don't <laughs> exist anymore. Like, <laughs> you could have given this guy anything to say, and he was going to be yeah, nailing it. exactly. Um... But I mean, so you get this, te- you get the tension continuing to build with Taylor and Landon as they continue to not find land. Um, they're running out of water. And then they discover these weird scarecrow looking things, um, which doesn't really get explained in the movie as to what those are. But when once you find out what that area is, it that's how you know. Yeah, they're basically. more like markers, I guess. Yeah, I think that was how the like Forbidden Zone was marked, yeah. so that people knew not to go there. Basically, because uh, you find out later in the movie when he gets to the civilization that they're like shocked that he like that they like survived through the Forbidden Zone. Basically, right. well, some are, some aren't. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, this so these scarecrow-looking things lead them to running water, a waterfall, um, and they're so psyched. so psyched. And you you go for it. <laughs> No, no, so no psyched that they immediately get completely naked to go swim. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down, was not expecting bare ass. <laughs> I have that written down. Yeah, I was actually, for a minute there, I was thinking we were going to see the front part. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you know, they're really cutting it close. They, uh, I'm really not sure how they managed to hide it in a lot of those yeah, scenes. Yeah, I don't know if the, um, the old... Uh, I'll just, the old cock sock had been invented for film at that point, but <laughs> but maybe. Um, but yeah, I was just like, oh, they're just immediately getting naked. They're huh? very comfortable with one another. All right, it makes you wonder what they would have done I mean, if this... Stewart was alive. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but yeah, that must honestly that must be a cultural thing, like how old dudes at the gym are in no way apprehensive yeah, towards that like at all. Guys swimming naked in the pools now. It's like, oh, that's what right. you did like, in the sixties with your bros. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Yeah, you you no one cared back then. Um and then as they're as they're skinny dipping, all their stuff gets stolen. Which is a classic um, skinny dipping trope. <laughs> your clothes always get classic. stolen when you're skinny dipping. <laughs> I mean it's you can't you can't do it because you it's like some it rings some they, sort of alarm yeah, that your clothes then have stolen. to be stolen. <laughs> um, and you know they chase these people down, which leads them to the human colony. Um, and we quickly learn that these humans don't speak any language at all. They're very primitive people, you know, hunter gatherers, and not much Basic else. Bitches, if you will. Um, I, I will. <laughs> I agree. 
Um, and then they get uh, rounded up and captured by the apes. Um, and the third in the party, the, the African-American gentleman gets killed. Um, I really wish I had remembered his character's name because this, this is making, making me look bad. Worse. But... but yeah, him going down first is unfortunately <laughs> a uh, pretty common movie thing that they only probably just recently got rid yep. of there. So <laughs> yeah, and as as part of this like rounding up, we we lose Landon. We don't see him killed. But we don't know what happens to him. Um, and Taylor Charlton Heston gets shot in the neck. Um, and then this takes us to the ape civilization finally. Um, and the the makeup and the set pieces are incredibly well done. Yeah. Um, I believe I saw that it won some sort of honorary Academy Award because the category hadn't existed okay. yet. I want to make another point, too, but on I the mean, original. Is this something you can't really get, a, for the most part, for, for at least this type of movie you can't get away with anymore, is like a slow opener. Like, but a good opener. Yes. It's, it's good slow, but like... Obviously, the remake was like, no, no, we got to get right into it. And like, I was yeah. like, I know nothing about this person now because you removed the exactly. first like 20 minutes from you the allow original. The opening to breathe a little bit. You get a feel for what's going on, how the people are. I like this kind right. of Right. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I the, the pacing was slow, but in a way that really allowed you to sort of gain your footing in the world okay, that you were It was just like all those Twilight Zones where three guys are walking around on an asteroid wondering where they are. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, how many Twilight Zone episodes have, the, have there been in any capacity where it's just like, where are we? <laughs> and the answer, I very like similar that's... to the end of this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, sometimes, who are we? Yeah, that was another line. They're like, where are we is not as important as when are we. And any time other than like a comedy, like I would absolutely cringe at that. But I again, I was like, wait, did they invent that? <laughs> they, yeah. In this case, they yeah. probably yeah, did yeah, is the yeah. thing. Um, so then, you know, Heston is basically in like a cage, being kept in a cage. Um, and you find out that this uh, gunshot to the neck has at least temporarily rendered him mute. Which I was like, oh, that's like a smart it's plot a smart device. Thing, Mitch, like we and don't it drive so much of the film, and it doesn't drive yes. the other film at all because it's not no, part not of at it. all. So it was as shocking the, to see because that because the humans because the humans speak. Yeah. No, they're totally normal. <laughs> and I'm just like, uh, anyway. Yeah. But no, um, this um, this whole can't speak thing really kind of like. It's like good excruciating, but it's one of those films where you're just like, ah, right, it's just for sure. Just talk, yes. If you could just talk, Um, and then this is when we meet the the psychologist. Um, It's made pretty clear from the beginning that she's going to be, you know, in support of Taylor. Not a weird love interest Um, like the 2001 version. (laughs) I'm sorry to keep bringing it up, but Um, I I think to a point we should probably go into parallels because it's like that's something that really bothered me. 2001 version. No, I I 100% <laughs> agree. And you know, I one of the one of the things I'd uh no, I'd read during my research was that it was originally written that they were going to be like romantically involved and it was taken out of the movie because like Fox was like, "No, that's weird." <laughs> Which is hilarious that in 2001 they're like, "It's not weird now." <laughs> no, no, no. They wanted to make it a full-on romantic relationship in the 2001 yeah. version. Which is messed up. And that was the most that they let them do, basically. I mean, so just quick skip ahead. Like, we all know. So 
the main character kisses her at the end of the movie in both versions. In version yes. one, it's kind of just like, when I see it, it kind of just cracks me up, and I just think, oh, classic Heston. He's just like locking the lips with a like a chimpanzee. Well, and he literally... He literally goes, I'm going to kiss you now. <laughs> Consent, by the way. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then, well, and that's so funny because the psychologist is like, oh, but you're so yeah, ugly. Yeah. And then like her fiance that's like, that's like is line. like, <laughs> Yeah. It just kind of cracks me up because I just, good. It, it struck me as just like Heston just like playing a bit. He's just like. <laughs> yes. Whereas the. Yeah, he, uh, I'm going yeah, to kiss you now. Whereas the Wahlberg version, I was just like, ugh. <laughs> ugh. Yeah, for sure. Um. And then this scene is when we also get introduced to Dr. Zayas, where you, he's basically like the head of research for the scientists that work in this community, Real more or less. Um, and he immediately is, you know, the, the, the psychologist already can tell that something is different about Taylor because he's still, he's like mouthing yeah. words. Um, but Dr. Zayas just like chalks it up to mimicry um, saying that humans aren't capable of higher thought and they're just nuisances. Um, and then before the next scene, the um, uh, one of the primitive women that was captured is is given to him as a quote unquote present. And I yeah, ooh, I so it. that's the, yeah, that's where the movie shows its time for sure. Um, because she like yes, they like for sure. Yeah, they like um, they put the the woman in the cage with them. And then like the, um, the psychologist or whatever kind of gives them a look like, yeah, you know what this is. <laughs> you, you know what this is but for. Again, the funny thing is they had every opportunity to not do something like that in the Mark Wahlberg version. <laughs> and then they kind of did. <laughs> yep. That's still formed their accurate. weird love triangle. <laughs> oh man. I don't, <sighs> It was just bad, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll go and we'll go into greater detail yeah. eventually here, but um, and then later they're all in that like group outdoor cage, um, and he's like trying to write in the sand to like show the psychologist, and then the, <laughs> this is so funny to me, the um, Nova, the one that's like quote unquote given yeah. to him, just starts like yeah, rubbing like, the sand to that? like get rid of it. <laughs> And he's just like, hey, he's like, what are you doing? Her away. <laughs> I I wrote down this is the second laugh that I got from the movie. He just starts beating the hell out of them. <laughs> he, just, he just starts beating up all the primitives. And I'm like, what's happening right and now? And he's got like cool, he's got like Shatner moves too. Do you remember that? Like he goes and like yes. misses a guy and then karate chops the guy's back. <laughs> oh, they're classic like 60s yeah. fighting moves where they like had maybe seen like a Bruce Lee movie and we're like, I think I get it. Um, and then, you know, it's like mostly covered up. So, you know, Dr. Zayas is like, I don't, I don't see anything. Um, and I believe we've, have we already met Dr. Cornelius or is this where we meet I think him? that's the first time Cornelius comes out. Cause they like hold hands together and like walk over there. Yeah. Right. What's so funny to me is when two apes kiss yeah, on the it's mouth. Yeah. Because, because <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, the the prosthetics for the lips don't they move just enough so that you can tell when someone is talking. But that's but it. that's yeah. Like I mean, it. that's like if you're gonna yeah. give the 2001 version one credit, it's that obviously they got the makeup done better because it's just more advanced. Uh, yes, and then, for sure. Actually, the only other thing I'll quick point out is that they got the 
quality of um, monkeys being able to jump higher down. <laughs> so that's a yes. skill that, well, I mean... Dare I say overused. Oh, 100%, but at least it was shown. <laughs> yes, Because <laughs> yeah, a lot I of agree. the monkeys in uh, the original are just kind of like, just kind of just weak (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're i mean they're yeah they're just humans that look like apes basically as opposed to like some sort of actual like physical version in between the the two heston can take them like it's just like (laughs) yes absolutely um and i i believe in this case dr zayas is supposed to be an orangutan which he more so just looks like the other apes just with orange hair whereas the 2001 version we that is accurately an orangutan, but boy, oh, did by I the way, it. so I, I told my wife I've never seen a, a a role more fit for Paul Giamatti than when I watched Mark Wahlberg's Planet <laughs> the, of the, the a Apes. Gross orangutan, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. His demeanor in that movie, I was like, that is Paul Giamatti. Like that's who he's supposed I to be. I thought he was going to be the Doctor Zayas character, and then they didn't have that. <laughs> <laughs> a very important character that was removed. Yeah. Um. And then one thing that I thought was really good, a really good like character and plot building part of this scene is when right as right in the end as they're walking away, Dr. Zayas like covers up the remainder of the sand yeah, writing. You're like eh, as a way what's of being like sleeve? so he does he knows and he's purposely yeah. covering it up. Um eventually Taylor gets a note to the psychologist that just says on it, My name is Taylor, and she she gets him released basically. Um, and he's able to explain his situation to them in writing. And this is when he explains that he's like, uh, he like flew from this ship and it sunk and all the stuff. Magic of flight, Mitch. <laughs> A paper yes, airplane. I, They've never experimented with that over there. Apparently, <laughs> this was fascinating to me because it's it's one thing where it's like, oh, like because they're apes, even though they're advanced apes, like they're still like technologically regressive. Like they don't they don't. They haven't. Not only have they not discovered flight, they've decided flight is completely it's a scientific impossible. impossibility, according to Cornelius, a scientist yes, himself. That is what Cornelius <laughs> said. He said it was a scientific impossibility, and then he just makes a paper airplane, and it's just they're they're just like, yeah, that was actually what? the one of the best parts of the film. The more I'm remembering is because he says that, and then uh, Heston just folds the piece of paper up and just flies it at him. <laughs> He's like, what the <laughs> <Yeah>. hell? <laughs> Uh, it's so funny because it, it's like a full on like Colombian coffee crystals reaction. <laughs> Just like what? <laughs> um, and this is when we find out that uh, Cornelius feels like he's he believes he's found proof that the apes actually evolved from humans. Yeah. Funny theory, but which better is, than anyone. What anyone it's else a funny, got. <laughs> it, right? Exactly, and then. Zayas comes in, finds out that she had released him and was like, oh, like he needs to be on a leash, all this stuff. And uh, she shows him the paper airplane and he just like crumples it up and is like, I don't care. <laughs> um, uh, and then they he gets put back into captivity and they decide he's going to be lobotomized, basically. Um, now, this was the next laugh that I got for sure. <laughs> the next scene it just sort of pans over to like one of the apes coming in to get to get Heston for the lobotomy 
and it pans over to him asleep, just like spooning the woman. <laughs> and I, I don't know why I got a really good laugh. Out of that. Yeah, he's he's definitely <laughs> like, uh, oh. taking her as a companion. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, okay, so they're just in an established relationship <laughs> now. I see. Um, so he manages to escape, um, at, but then he's recaptured and. Like in the town square, he's running through and he gets netted up and the ape comes over to grab him. And here's where we get the classic line. Take your stinking paws off me, you damned dirty hey, Mitch, ape. You know, I'd, I'd obviously heard this line in pop fiction before or yeah, yes, pop culture before. Sorry. But um, but, you know, it had so much more impact in the movie because he can't talk this whole time. And the first they've just been treating him like garbage the whole time. And the first words he says are like completely like like agonizing and yes. like um like just dismissive of these apes it's like you think you're great and it's it's so good it's like such a 60s line it's such a six it's like take your stinking <laughs> paws off me you damned dirty Mitch, ape. it's so perfect and i can't believe how much tim burton blew it <laughs> oh i my was irate that when that I mean, you know what I'm talking about. When Michael Clark Duncan yeah. goes, get your stinking paws <laughs> off me, you damn dirty I human. I lost it. I was upset. Yeah, I lost it. You throw that great line right at the beginning of the film, switch it thinking you're being cheeky. <laughs> but it just, right. it just sounds dumb. It was just, ah, it was horrible. <laughs> yes, agreed. Um, now, after this, I think is where we get to... Uh, like their conversation before the trial, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so in this conversation before the trial, this is how we kind of find out that humans don't have any rights whatsoever. And that um, uh, all apes and that, were descended from some sort of ape god. <laughs> right, and I was just going to say, this is where we find out that apes are creationists, like from an this ape god. This is a god. very funny and, commentary on creationism versus evolution. Um Oh God, am I going to get this for evolutionary theory? Um, which is like very funny to put in a film in the sixties. I kind of feel like, uh, well, and like, to me, this is like, this is what sci-fi ha has always supposed to have been like, yeah, like using, using sort of an absurdist reality to comment on the world that we actually yeah. live in and that's like what rod serling yeah, that's what he was all about, about science fiction the original planet of the apes does perfectly is it talks about you know this like you know like um denying evolution or like um just the statement of Rejecting, man in like, general that like they're right rejecting technology like we need to take better care of the planet yeah, yeah all this that's stuff it's just like, that, is like, this like call for global warming <laughs> i mean i this movie is very yeah. progressive. Oh, I'm going to say is. that. Like, I'm yeah. very impressed. Yeah. Um, and then we also find out right around the scene that they did lobotomize Landon, which right. I'm I'm glad that we got like closure on his yeah, fate. As sad as it was, even though it was a, even though it was like obviously bad yeah. closure. Yeah. Um, and here's where like my next one of my next favorite lines came up. Um. Because he just loves saying like filthy and dirty, <laughs> like later in the later in the movie when he he's like going to chase after one of the apes and he just goes, "You filthy!" <laughs> he doesn't even finish it. He loves cutting them to the core. Like he loves. He's so yes. angry. He's been belittled by apes that like when he gets a chance to talk, he really tries and belittles them back. <laughs> like, 
it's great. And you right. would do the same because it's like you're being treated like garbage. <laughs> well, but yeah, so here's here's the line that I loved. He when he finds out um Landon's been lobotomized, he goes chasing after I think it's Zayas. So, yeah. Um and he goes, You cut up his brain, you dirty <laughs> baboon. <laughs> Such a good line. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You cut up his brain, you dirty baboon. So good. Um and then we get to the trial, and basically you have Zayas refusing to believe his story that he came from another planet and flew in from a spaceship mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Um but he his assumption is that there's like more of him in the forbidden zone because that's where he came yeah, from, basically. Like he's convinced there's a tribe of his type of mutants, quote unquote, around somewhere. Right. Yeah. Um and then you have the psychologist and Dr. Cornelius like backing him up, basically saying all these things about like uh their theory for the evolution and all this stuff. Um and this is where we get the um the three like counts the council of the three apes doing the uh did you did you catch this? The uh, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil? No, did you I see didn't. that? So the three as the as I think Cornelius is talking, the three apes in the council, one of them's covering his ears, one's covering its eyes, and one's covering its <laughs> mouth. But I read um when researching the movie that that was actually improv. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, which is like such a great, oh, that's great. thing to no, do in the moment. That. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, so Zaius refuses to believe his story and still has him, you know, set up to be lobotomized. Um but then arguably my favorite character comes in from here, Lucius, <laughs> uh, the psychologist's nephew. <laughs> this movie's funny. He I don't pr- people don't give it credit. It's, it's a fun, funny It's a funny movie. movie. Like it, it cracked it is, me up. Like Regardless of how funny it's supposed to be, <laughs> it still has a lot of funny beats while maintaining a general yeah, seriousness yeah, exactly. about it. Um, but so Lucius, the nephew, comes in pretending to be from the zoo, uh, like says, like, oh, we're taking him over to the human zoo because he can talk. Like, that's a fun novelty. And then he hands the like prison guard the note. And as he's reading it, like he like uh, like hits him on the head and like ties him up and they get Taylor out of there. Um, and then they start going through the, uh, forbidden zone basically to help Taylor escape more oh, yeah. or less. Did you mention he um, insists that they take the woman with him? <laughs> oh, uh, that's right. He insists that he Nova insists go with Because I think is... he knows what his long-term plans are here. <laughs> I, I think he's got it all figured out at this point. Um, so they, they make it to the shoreline. They've like set up camp, and this is where that this is where the cave is, where uh, Cornelius had discovered those artifacts uh, about the findings, basically. Um, and when they when they get discovered at the shoreline, um, Taylor already has a gun. This is so funny <laughs> to me, because um, they when Cornelius meets them with all the horses to go through the forbidden zone. Uh, Taylor's like, you got any guns in there? And he's like, oh, the best, but we won't need them. And he's like, yes, we will. <laughs> he <laughs> he like grabs it. He's and like, like, Cornelius is always just like his uh, fiance is always just like, let him do it. It's fine. Yep. <laughs> it's so, so funny. Um, but because he has this gun, he basically 
gets them all to stand down when they get to the shoreline and convinces Dr. Zayas to like let Cornelius show him the artifacts in the cave to basically see if they've found, you know, proof enough right. or not. Cause if, if the proof isn't there, you know, they're getting tried for heresy basically. Um, and then when they get in there, um, they find a doll that can talk, which is like basically all the right. proof that at one point humans were like developed or whatever. And it's not like a genetic yeah. thing. Um, one thing I found interesting is that this is the part of the movie where Zayas talks about how like at one point humans were kept as pets before realizing that they couldn't be domesticated, <laughs> which I like, I thought that was a good like piece of backstory and then in the 2001 version, they completely throw it out the window by having Paul Giamatti basically like be a pet store <laughs> owner, like yeah. for humans. Like, why? <laughs> Just why? Um, but then this is like where Taylor like takes Zayas hostage and like he himself starts to become primitive, right? Which I think is like I think they're kind of playing into that a little bit too of his well, character. It's a big point of the film in um, general that like you're supposed to think this whole time that like you know yeah apes are claiming to be civilized this movie but they're you know in our reality they're the they're the crazy ones they're the primitive ones but then there's all these comments on like yeah but humans are the most destructive animals in history and they ruin right. the the world and like all this so it's really yeah, set mean, up th- for the we're ending. getting. Right, we're getting right to the end here. Um, and and Zayas decides to have the the cave destroyed and has the uh, Cornelius and the psychologist tried for heresy. Um, but then, uh, you know, this is one of my favorite parts. Charlton Heston's like talking to to Lucius, the nephew, and Lucius just keeps talking about how he like doesn't trust adults <laughs> and all this stuff. Like he's just like a disillusioned like teen. And then at one point, Charlton Heston. It's as he's like saying goodbye to him and he's like, that's it, Lucius. Never trust anyone over 30. <laughs> I'm just like, what a great, like, was that seriously in the script or did Charlton Heston just think that'd be a funny thing to say, Heston. right? I mean, it's like, yeah, there's just so much like little like humor about this movie that I love. And that, yeah, like adding yes, Lucius was so nice great. at the end. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, but so then they, they let him go. And him and Nova are basically riding off into the sunset to go live their lives, more or less. And then you get along the shoreline, and he just stops dead in his tracks. And we don't we don't see what he's looking at. Um, and he says, "You maniacs! You blew it up! Damn you! Damn you all to hell!" Which again, fantastic, and. It again gets botched in the remake, but anyway. <laughs> oh my god! Um, did it, I don't even really understand the ending of that movie. <laughs> well, that's yeah. But so this is like the like classic twist ending sci-fi thing. You the the camera pans, turns around, and this is when you find out that the Statue of Liberty is there, and it all comes together. Because then we basically find out, you know, like. Uh, the humans were destroying the earth, like hunting for sport, uh, killing their fellow man. And that was how the apes managed to take over by uniting and taking over the planet, basically. And so you find out it's like Earth 3,000 years in yeah. the future or whatever. 
A great ending. So oh, yeah, good. So good. Um, I actually remember seeing that ending on an episode of Mad Men. <laughs> um, oh, really? Did you know what the ending was? Okay. okay yes, okay. I did. It's it's one of those things it's that's just like such a classic things, yeah. ending. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, I do remember actually seeing, like literally seeing the ending on, on Mad Men. And yeah, getting the whole like, you blew it up. <laughs> Damn yeah. you. Well, and it's like, this became a trope of like, oh, he was on Earth the whole time. Yeah. Like, that's such a thing. Yeah, now. and it like, was popularized by Twilight Zone, and then kind of yes. Planet of the Apes was kind of like I feel like by the end of the '60s, like it became a trope. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right. So I mean, before we get into 2001 version, let's give some final thoughts on on the '68 version. Uh, you can go ahead and start. Oh yeah, I um, probably nothing that hasn't already been said. It's I mean, it's got some of its. Yeah, it's a little dated at points, and like, yeah, there's a, a few moments you'll cringe, but generally as a 60s film, it holds up really well. It's what sci-fi, like you said, really should be. Um, it doesn't, you know, force too much action sequences on you for the sake of action, which again is a failure of the remake and a lot of movies <laughs> I was about today. to say, I wonder what that's pointed uh, at. But uh, it just kind of gets into probably, I mean, probably what the, the main point of the book was, too. And so, yeah, no, I, um, they're really good movie. Yeah, no, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. I mean, there are so many things in this movie that have become like tropes and cliches, like because of this movie, which is like such a testament to the kind of cultural impact it had. Like it's such a, it's such a smart movie. Like the, the themes and messages are there from the beginning and like reveal, like slowly reveal themselves over time, basically. Um, And it's it's just such a it's such a smart movie that the dialogue is so well written. Yeah, it's a movie um, mostly based in conversations, <laughs> like just great. Well, I mean, it, the the movie takes the movie takes place in like such a vacuum. When you really think about it, not that much happens in yeah. the movie, which is like I, I think that's a testament to the time it was released too. I think this is the kind of movie you can't really do right. anymore because it's not like you said it's like it's not it's sci-fi but it's not heavy on action right. and it's very dialogue based and it's it's um usually sci-fi movies nowadays if they're going to be like that have to be super high concept like it has to be this premise that does not already exist yeah. basically and that was the benefit of making a movie like this 50 years ago is that the premise did mm-hmm. not exist um but I, I mean i think it's a fantastic movie um now let's get into the 2001 version. Yeah, I, I mean guess. we've already gotten um, into about half of it at least, so we. Um, right, we can we can go uh, a little yeah, faster. Mitch, I, I don't think news. I could spend more than 20 minutes talking about this horrible thing. <laughs> well, we're about to find out, aren't we? Um, a walk. <laughs> so, directed directed by First Tim Burton. Bummer. Um, which look, I'll say this: in the right context, Tim Burton can be great. Like Beetlejuice, great movie. Nightmare Before uh, he's Christmas. He's capable of doing. He's capable of doing good yeah. things. That's not a secret. Um, remaking Planet of the Apes, not something I would have thought of for him. <laughs> so It's all just right, amazing I guess. how a, um, a, a director of his caliber can make something so bad. I mean, I know directors make good directors make bad films, don't get me wrong, but it's just like so many weird right. choices like you'd like you'd think anyone Absolutely. would just know not to do. I don't I don't know. <laughs> and truly a star-studded cast which is unbelievable <laughs> uh, it's starring mark Wahlberg. um 
Now, this really all he had done at this point was Boogie right. Nights. Yeah, he looks like he his Boogie was, Nights version of Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> like, right, he was not. Stuff. He was not at all established as like a huge movie star yet, which is obviously not a bad thing if he was right for the role. He's right but for the role, but for him, that this he was is not right for the role. Um, <laughs> well, and it was just like. They were going for a different movie here. He didn't have to play the exact same part that Charlton Heston right. played. But the, for the specific part he's playing, which is basically the guy like leading a revolt, yeah. like he wasn't playing that. But, I mean, on top of that, we have Tim Roth in the main villain role. Another great actor. Um, he played it a little too ape, in my opinion. Um, yeah. That was, my, that was one of my big comments about the movie in general. Um, is that they were much more like savage than they were in the yeah, original. Yeah, and um, Tim Roth's character was just like unbelievably savage. Just like, yes, and not to mention gross. Yeah, he was just two inches from everyone's face. <laughs> like, yes, it was. It Mitch, was Mitch, awful. By the way, here, here's um, my um, impression of Mark Wahlberg in Planet of the Apes. <clears throat> hey, apes, how you doing? Say hi to your mother for me, all right? <laughs> <laughs> It's my uh said that a lot in the movie, right? <laughs> uh, I I have some lines written down from Mark Wahlberg in the movie that are basically that. <laughs> um and then in the in the role of like Tim Roth's number two, we have Michael Clark Duncan. Look, I love Michael Clark Duncan. I'll say that. Um and Jordan, remember when I told you about this movie? not being as progressive as the movie that came out yeah. you know, 30 plus I mean, years before something it. something feels wrong about making him a gorilla, right? Well, <laughs> so the the backstory here is that Michael Clark Duncan was in the middle of filming Green Mile when he was called about being cast in the movie and he, quote, rightfully assumed it was for a non-human role. <laughs> so that's rough. That makes me a little sad that he kind of just knew. Oh, man. Um, I know, right? <laughs> that is sad. Um, and then in the in the sort of the psychologist character role, at least in, as a plot device, we have Helena Bottom Carter, who, fun fact, not yet in a romantic relationship with Tim Burton at the point of this movie, which I did find is, interesting. Is this what uh, swooned him? <laughs> Her Michael maybe, Jackson maybe. version? <laughs> oh, my God. It, it 100% looked like Michael Jackson. That's so funny well, that you say that because I hadn't yeah, put that actually, together. That was something Claire brought up because she'd actually seen the film before. And I was like, you've seen this? And like, oh, yeah, I was like, yeah. You, you've she was like, yeah, that one this? looks like Michael Jackson. <laughs> I was like, that's racist. Yeah. So then I like noticed what she was saying. I was like, oh, I get you. <laughs> oh, I yeah, get it But now. no, yeah. uh, here's uh, um, one thing I'll say about her character in general is that they go way too far in right off the bat of what her essence was in the original like her essence, obviously in the original, is like yeah, she's kind of on the human side and all that. In this, right. in the original, she's like just kind of, I mean, she's a scientist, but she's not overdoing it, right? Like she's she's right. going to lean her way, but this one is like jumping around, like getting all the lines out right off the bat, just like humans are not savages, and just like <laughs> right. And she like plays like a she plays much more of like a hippie rebel character as opposed to like a. Uh, as opposed to like a compassionate intellectual, like in the yeah. first one, it's a much more it's a much more interesting developed character in the yeah. original. And then that was um, her reaction 
upon seeing Mark Wahlberg and getting real close with him was the first time I was like, Ugh. it was the first inkling I saw where I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> where is this movie going? I don't, uh, <laughs> well, and that made me realize like, oh, she's, she doesn't actually like care about their rights. She just like has a human fetish <laughs> apparently. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Um, and then, of course, oh, one thing I did forget that I wanted to mention about Mark Wahlberg. This movie came out in 2000, uh, 2001, right before Mark Wahlberg could have been on that plane and stopped 9-11 from happening. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that one. <laughs> Wait, hang on. You've heard that about Mark Wahlberg I before, have, right? but it, like a little bit. So it's he claimed... His whole thing is like, let me tell you, if I'd been on that plane, if that had been me on that plane... I would have stopped. It's them. a real bummer how many like actors and actresses somehow use 9/11 to benefit their careers. <laughs> can you can you imagine being so self-centered that like you play a strong person in a movie and you think you can stop 9/11? <laughs> Crazy. Um okay, so what I was going to say, uh the other the other big name in this movie, of course, the Mots, Paul Giamatti, <laughs> who is um, the by far the best thing about this movie. <laughs> he's just, the character he's playing is insane. <laughs> like, truly insane. Um, he's the comedic relief. He's like the cowardly one that sort of just is hanging back for his they own survival. Still make like, him bald. <laughs> yes, he's an ape and yet somehow still bald. <laughs> really nailing that Always down. looks a little um, bit distressed. <laughs> In, always looks incredibly yeah, disheveled. It's just perfect. Um, yeah, he's got that nailed down, and he—I would agree—he's probably playing the best in this movie. For yeah, the most I mean, part. when he was cast, um, Tim Burton said, "Paul, you do you. That's what this is." <laughs> and boy, did he! Um, movie is written by uh, William Broyles Jr., uh, who wrote Apollo thirteen, Castaway, Polar Express, and Jarhead, hey, that's among a, others. Another so, I mean, bummer there. <laughs> You're you're hiring good people to do this thing, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, um, and I mean, this was—it's not like this was a, a shot-for-shot remake either. Tim Burton considered it much more of a reimagining than a remake, which I definitely agree with. The the plot's very different. Right, you should do something um, different, probably. But then after seeing this, maybe you shouldn't have. <laughs> right, uh, agreed. Um, this budget was a hundred million dollars, which is pretty significant um worldwide gross of 362 so i mean it was financially successful um and on the note of the ending uh tim burton's claim was that the ending was not supposed to make sense and was done as a cliffhanger for a possible sequel Um, oh is that it but then tim burton but then tim burton has also been quoted saying he would rather jump out of a window than direct a sequel to this movie um so I'm not sure the timing of those two I mean, quotes, but they're the very contradictory. The reaction to the film, I, but that would make a lot more sense if it was a cliffhanger. Well, because it makes zero oh, sense. Yeah, so I, we're to believe that Tim Roth's character is taking over. As, um, he's become a Washington Monument. Uh, um, but in no way is it explained Lincoln, how that could have Lincoln happened. Yeah, no, the only thing I can muster up is that he was trapped in that ship, which I 
worked a little bit. I I don't know. But all the fuel got used is the thing, so then it wouldn't work. This is the problem with the movie. I, I just can't... Well, yeah, we're <laughs> on the same page that it doesn't make sense, at least. So, um, so this... 5.7 on IMDb, 50 Metascore, about as mixed of a review as you can get. 50's being generous, too. Uh, I, when I see a 50 on a Metascore, I, I think, okay, that's an, like an average movie, like which makes right. sense, 50. I right? would not consider this an average no, movie. No, no, it's but, below average. Um, it's not It's not good, Mitch. <laughs> this, this at one point was slated to be made about 15 years prior uh, as Return of the Apes, uh, directed by Oliver Stone and starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh. That would have been amazing. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> um, another really funny thing, Tim Roth turned down the role of Severus Snape for this movie. Oh. Um, the character that Alan Rickman played in the eight movie Harry Potter series, Tim Roth turned it down for this. The Alan Rickman. <laughs> and... Mark Wahlberg turned down a significant role in Ocean's Eleven. I mean, let's be real. Mark Wahlberg did fine, but yeah. still. Ocean's Eleven it, in the early 2000s for him would have yeah, been Yeah, and that Tim Roth really could have saved his career <laughs> by being in Harry Potter, right? I mean, he was he was high and flying in the 90s Tarantino films, right? But then right. like... Uh, no, for sure. Yeah, I mean, what was he? He was the villain in Hulk. <laughs> like... At least it was the Ed Norton Incredible Hulk and not the Eric True, Bana which Hulk. which is another thing. If we continue hey, with maybe this Maybe that'll one, be another yeah, classic versus uh, reboot, rough, right? Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, Mark Wahlberg blames 20th Century Fox rushing the release for the mixed reception. How on earth could you have um, saved that in post-production? <laughs> so, well, supposedly, supposedly before the script had even been finished... 20th Century Fox had nailed down a release date, which is not <laughs> oh, great. Okay, I I get you now. Yeah, were... so things got a things got a little rushed. Yeah. In other words, now, I mean um, that's, that kind of thing happens too. I mean, you got to factor that in. I I know we like to go and like. First of all, you and I don't make movies at all, so we don't really know what it's like in the background. So so I understand there's right, budget concerns, time concerns that can all play in, and we see that in our own aspect of lives in our own way, one way or another. But right. but like yeah, still, absolutely. I you know. It, I'll go and diss everyone involved then, you know? It's, <laughs> I won't just say Tim Burton yes, screwed it up. Right. I'll say 20th Century um, Fox, you know, you you blew it up! <laughs> you, you blew it up! <laughs> Damn you all to hell! Um, yeah, I mean, let's get into a little bit of the, you know, the, the plot points here, sort of step by step. Given that we've already talked to talked about quite a bit of it, we don't have to go into great yeah, let's detail. Just, but um, for the audience, yeah, well, let's do a skim of where this movie goes. So, I mean, starting with the title, starting with the title sequence, it already has the makings of a much more generic movie. It just had like late '90s, early 2000s, like action sequences, like the camera panning on big yeah. stuff. Like it's all just mm-hmm. very, very yeah. generic, um, and definitely stuck in the time that it was made. Right. Um, and the film starts with, uh, a chimp in like a space pod, like flying around, <laughs> um, and it's about to crash. And then you find out it was a simulation and Wahlberg is training a chimpanzee in a simulator. Um, and then he seems to be working on this space station where they train apes for space flight to like investigate anomalies basically was my understanding. Not a bad concept. Um, I mean, it's, 
Yeah, no, that, I mean that. that, holds, I mean. that there are parts of the reimagining that I do think work and were worth exploring. Yeah. Some, oh, to, be, to be clear, some. just some, like three. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean the details and the the dialogue just feels so much more like generic, like sci-fi action. Um, and you know, like basically apes were used to make sure like the area is state is like safe, and that's what they do when they approach this electromagnetic storm. They put they put out Wahlberg's ape. Uh, into the uh, into the storm and he gets lost. Um, and this is when we find out that Wahlberg kind of hates chimps, I guess. It, it's like, this is so weird to me at this, like, this is the character development you're going to choose, like, that he dislikes well, Wait a minute, wasn't apes? he going out there to save him? No, he was going out there because he was like, he said, never trust a monkey to do a man's job. Well, he did say that. As he was, like, getting well, into his pod. he something else, too, along the lines of, like, Going after my chimp, like <laughs> that's true, I guess. But, but it's what like, was he gonna do? It just like, felt, does he have some sort of right claw that extends from his <laughs> bizarre, just truly bizarre? Um, so he he, unbeknownst to the people running the ship, gets into another pod and uh, goes to investigate the electromagnetic storm, um, and this leads to him crashing his ship into the water. Um, and it, much like the original movie, it's underwater. He escapes through, um, he escapes through that and then immediately discovers humans and is captured like immediately. Yeah. And there's the entire, the, the entire 20 minute sequence where he's like alone through the desert, like character development. Nothing, completely no, we gone. know nothing about Mark Wahlberg. And the other general problem with this movie is that the sets look cheap, Mitch a movie the they sets do look, look so they cheap, look cheap. <laughs> they do for sure um yeah and like this is just such a testament to the fact that newer movies just like refuse slower pacing it's just not something you see yeah. anymore um yeah so he's captured along with the other quote-unquote primitive humans but they can talk <laughs> It's almost done as like a reveal that they can talk, and I'm like... Yeah, there were certain reveals in this movie where it was specifically Tim Burton telling the audience, this is different than what you knew. Yes. Like, this was like uh, the Star Trek reimaginings where like J.J. Abrams was like, hey, we went through the time vortex, and now things are all loop-de-loop. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is it's truly bizarre you're yeah. absolutely right there are some reveals in this movie that are only reveals because you watch the original you're supposed like, to know what the other yeah, movie is the like damn you all to hell line somewhere in there too that's that's again used by an right. ape for something yeah. and there are parts parts of this movie like the plot isn't explained because it like accepts the original movie as like common knowledge even though they're not in the same universe right. at all yeah, no, that like it's just it's just bizarre. And then, like you said, this is the part where Mark Wahlberg gets captured, and Michael Clark Duncan, the gorilla, says, "Get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty human!" I almost human. turned it off right so there. <laughs> I was like, "Sorry, Mitch, like, can't I, do it." <laughs> my eyes nearly rolled out of my sockets, like so bad. Like, yeah, Michael Clark now, Duncan thing... faced racism for this, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> And, like, one thing I do like is that from here, they're kind of put in this, like, little wagon, basically, to go back to the community and get imprisoned. Um, and it's, I do like the attempt at establishing more of, like, an ape culture and community. Um, 
in this movie because like, they're like going through the streets and like the kids are playing like soccer yeah, and there's stuff like, and kids it's like, in, like leather jackets smoking weed at some point <laughs> do you remember that <laughs> i oh me i have that written down <laughs> trust me it's that was insane um but then it also is not established in this case what the situation is with humans because it's not like an official government thing because they give these humans are given to Paul Giamatti, who is basically like selling them on the black right. market. It's not <laughs> like an, but then they're also captured by the military, which doesn't really add yeah. up. Yeah, uh, yeah, nothing about this movie really adds up too well. Well, but the big right. thing, the big disappointment and, to me, like you said, is like we were talking about this quote unquote reveal that they can actually talk. It's like it just it. <laughs> I know it's a reimagining, but you just take away everything by doing right, it. And we have no proof now that they're primitive, really. Yeah, and now Mark Wahlberg hardly and not, sta- they stands out. That's the problem. Like she's right. He's just wearing yeah, different like, clothes. Uh, Helena Bottom Carter's just like this one's kind of different. I can tell, and it's just like, but how? Like it's just like <laughs> other than the clothes, like right. It's like, well, and this is one. This is one of the. Uh, this is one of the Mark Wahlberg lines I have written down when they're in the little wagon and no one speaks to him because it hasn't been quote unquote revealed yet that they can speak. Um, he just looks around and goes, Hey, where are we? Where's this place? <laughs> like he just says that like out of nowhere. Like, why did you wait until now to ask? And like, I don't know. It just really struck well, me. The other thing that odd. really bothers me is once he's like in the prison or whatever, he's just kind of sitting there staring at the floor. Like he's just accepting this right. reality. Like he's just like, <laughs> yeah, he's not making any attempt to no. do anything. Um, but then like this is another thing I've written down that's weird. Like, well, like first of all, the Tim Burton aesthetic in a movie like Planet of the Apes makes me deeply uncomfortable. Just something about that I just <laughs> did not like. Because Tim Burton has a very specific way he wants his movies to look, and that like that did not translate yeah, well to something like this. Yeah, it involves a skeleton in a suit. <laughs> like it doesn't involve apes right. and armor. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then the keeping of them as pets does not at all align with the public opinion of humans. <laughs> like literally, Paul Giamatti says to one of the military guys, "Like, like haven't I told you to wear gloves when handling humans?" <laughs> yeah. And then they give them away to and, little. But then they keep them girls, as pets. Yeah. Like, like which one like, is it? Are they it completely puberty? <laughs> like, gross. right? Like, are they domesticated or not? <laughs> like, this this is like, this is like if I saw like a stray dog, and I like went to help it, and like you'd be like, "Ugh, get it away from me! <laughs> Don't touch that! Like, it could have diseases." No one, right? No one's like that yeah. with pets. Like, it's just not the same thing. Um, yeah, and I wrote, I wrote down, like, because, like, Helena Bottom Carter plays, like, the senator's, like, rich daughter, and she, like, buys Mark Wahlberg and the, uh, the woman. Right, so they're they're already out of the jail, like, instantly, like, first act. Yes, and was this, was this another one where Mark Wahlberg was like, she has to come with me? Um. I don't remember how she ends up going. think so but i i just do remember like they locked eyes like immediately when they were in like the yes the for sure it was, was definitely like, oh. <laughs> it was definitely set up to yeah. be that way um yeah so helen held a bottom carter buys them both and she's more of a like a rebel character than like an apprehensive intellectual like i said before the orangutan makeup legit terrible disgusting in this movie <laughs> 
like sure it's more realistic whatever but it's also <laughs> awful <laughs> and every time i see orangutans or hear the word orangutan i can only think of one thing <laughs> and it's our mom <laughs> as a kid thinking it was pronounced orangutan <laughs> i don't blame her that'll never not be fun yeah, i mean it's um i get it like seeing it written out and not hearing it said Orangutan makes Which, sense. Which, by the way, but it's still funnier ridiculous. than anything in this film because this movie had no humor, <laughs> other than Paul this movie Giamatti. Did not have <laughs> it. Did not have a single bit of humor. Um, although it is like accidentally funny yeah. <laughs> because I have two other lines written down here from Mark Wahlberg. Uh, when they're like cleaning up in the house, the woman asks him like, "What tribe are you from?" And he says, "The Air Force." And I'm going back to it, <laughs> like. <laughs> why are you trying to be like clever and then he also says i don't remember the context of this one uh yeah so i don't remember the context of this one but he says how did these monkeys get like this <laughs> <laughs> like what do you t- what how did these monkeys get like this? <laughs> I missed so many of these lines. Like I said, I kind of tuned out on occasion because I just couldn't hack it. <laughs> right. And then, like, you know, so like Helen Bonham Carter's dad is a senator and invites all these higher-ups over for dinner, um, like, talking about apes or talking about humans as, like, a political conversation um, and it's still, this is when you find out it's still part of the lore in the movie that they're very religious and they believe that humans don't have right. a soul, which like in the first movie, humans are just full on animals and that makes right. sense. In this one, they're just treated as yeah. less than, <laughs> but have all the same abilities as the apes do. But then they say they don't yeah, have a they're soul. they're just not allowed to like, speak. Like that's crazy. That's like in the first movie, they can't speak. In the second one, I don't think they're allowed to speak. <laughs> Right. Um, and then this is like the scene where we find out like Tim Roth has a thing for Helena Bottom Carter, which is gross. Very gross. Um, right. And then like immediately Wahlberg like escapes with the woman and that other butler guy that's just kind of like <laughs> there already. And it's so weird because he he at first seems like he's like, what are you doing? You can't leave. And then as soon as Mark Wahlberg leaves, he, like, follows him, like, immediately. Well, I got to make sure where he's going. <laughs> right. I'll just keep following you now. <laughs> and here's one thing I'm going to say as well. So Tim Roth finds those two military guys seeing the damage that was caused by Wahlberg's yeah. ship, and, and he comes up and kills <laughs> them. pounds them down, like, which I thought was, like, I, again, at the time when I saw it, I thought it was like, oh, he knows the secret of the planet, right? So he's killing these guys who saw some evidence. But then, nope, nope that doesn't really come up. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, okay. So this is the part of the movie when they're running out of the city and they see the random assortment of apes doing weird <laughs> shit. <laughs> so this is when we see the rock and roll druggy apes. <laughs> We're just um, like out of their minds when they see the humans walk by. Yes. Um, we see the gross orangutan and his wife doing some sort of mating dance oh, type thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. weird. Um, 
Oh yeah, so they took the old man human with them to try and save him. Uh, the the woman's dad, and that's played by Chris Christopherson, by the way, which I found oh. interesting. Okay. Um, he accepted the role because his kids really liked Tim Burton's movies. That was oh, in the, that was God. in the trivia. That's such a bummer. <laughs> yeah. So he so he ends up getting killed so that they can get away and they like escape through the tunnels. Um, and then do you remember? You probably don't. This was such a weird small thing. Um, Helena Bonham Carter is like trying to like console the woman. Like she's like, Hey, like, are you doing okay? All this stuff. And then like the woman's like mad because it's like, like you're like, you're part of the apes. And she like, so Helena Bonham Carter is like touching her on the shoulder, like trying to console her. And then the woman touches her like back and Helena Bonham Carter lets out this like super loud monkey noise. and just like freaks out. And, and then like, I'm like, what, is, what? No, either you're, Either you're primitive or you're advanced. <laughs> and they're both weirdly mad at each other because they both like Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> makes the whole right. thing even weirder. Oh, yeah. I also wrote down, because uh, then Mark Wahlberg's talking about how he got there on a spaceship or whatever, and you know they also don't believe flight exists in this one, <laughs> which, leads Mark and, which leads Mark Wahlberg to say, talking monkeys can't exist. <laughs> Again, get it together, Wahlberg. He he goes underwater, grabs his uh grabs his bag from the ship that has a creepy dead ape in it. The or the underwater, there's that creepy right. dead ape. Um and then Mark Wahlberg, so the the original uh timeline of the movie takes place in twenty twenty nine and then he goes way Which, into by the, the way, future. I hate when movies do that. This movie was made in oh one. Right. Why would you make something so in the future twenty eight years later? <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly um but then he has like this super advanced like ray gun in his bag that like works and then that other gorilla that's with them like destroys it and he's like you could use it against us which like i i don't disagree but also i was like okay but did you see what that thing was capable of you like blew it up. you guys didn't yeah you didn't stand a chance until now you blew it up um Yes, I wrote down Wahlberg has a super OP future gun and they bl- and they destroy it. Um let's see. They Oh yeah, so they find Paul Giamatti in the jungle like kind of hiding. Uh they take him with them. Um and then like this also had a similar issue to what the Star Wars prequels had where a lot of stuff gets political in a in places where no one wants politics. <laughs> Cause there's a whole scene where Tim Roth goes up to the Senator being like, I'm going to need you to declare martial law so that I can kill these people. <laughs> and the Senator's like, okay. And it's like, I don't think one Senator has the ability to declare martial law. I don't think that's yeah, how it why works. Even, why even bother with that? Like, it's just <laughs> right. If it, it felt very unnecessary. Like all to the, the plot, plot holes and weird things in this movie, you're worried that the, um, that army general guy is going to commit murder and get away with it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so then once they're still walking, like after the scene, they're still walking through trying to escape. Um, And then I don't remember how it comes up, but um, Wahlberg starts talking about how we destroyed the planet and the only apes left are in zoos. And I was like, okay, like if we're going to bring in the same, like, 
themes as the old one. Like, that's all you got? <laughs> like, that's it? Because, like, the, the reveal of this movie wouldn't have had that theme in it. Like, that wouldn't have been... Right. That wouldn't have been part of the commentary right. in any context. Um, And so then Tim Roth goes and sees his dad because his dad is dying. Um, and they establish that he's some sort of higher up in the government or, or community as well. And, you know, he reveals that at one time the humans were the masters over the apes. And that's like a big reveal early in the movie. <laughs> um, which it does, it's not the full reveal, but it is part of it. Um, so then this part I was a little confused by. Um, he had a gun hiding in a vase and he was like, Hey, destroy that vase. And then he did and pulled the gun out. And I was like, is he going to use the gun or is that just to reveal like, Oh, this is what like the humans guns looked like. I, well, I so that's, that's the but old anyway, movie rule, isn't it? If you pull a gun out, you, Oh, check off his gun. If a gun is presented, it's yeah. going to be used. Um, yeah, and then, like, this is when the dad says, right as he's dying, damn them all to hell. And it's like, what a terrible way to shoehorn in that line. Like, what's even, why even bother know, yeah. at that point? Um, we see the random scarecrows again. Um, and that's how we know that they're going towards this movie's version of the Forbidden Zone. Like, going towards the, um, going towards the ancient ruins. Uh, oh, yeah, I didn't explain this part. Um as part of his bag, he has this little like communication device with the ship and it he's seeing that it's like on the planet that they're like coming to rescue him. So that's where they're right. going. Um so they get to the they get to the ancient ruins, which is where, according to his little tracker, is where they're gonna be. Um so they're going towards those ruins, and they run through that military base that's like right on the river. And rather than like so one of the one of the people with them is like, oh, like why don't we find a different way to cross the river? And he and his logic is like, no, we're gonna go right through the base and into the river because they're scared of water. Yeah, that was a big thing in this and movie. It's like, <laughs> yeah, the, and I was like, the is it is it like some sort of big piece of common knowledge that apes are afraid yeah, of water? I, not to my knowledge, but I guess I've never really seen them in water. I I don't know. <laughs> I thought of that too. I was like, I don't think I've technically seen <laughs> an an ape swim. But just so a weird maybe, but plot it's still construct weird. to solve a situation. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so they barely make it out of there and they get to the ruins um where supposedly his people are supposed to be, but instead they find the ruins of uh the space station um that he was in. He so there's a sign in there that when he like rubs the dust off, it says caution live animals. But before he rubs the dust off, it just says Kali Ma. And I was like, Oh my God. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, wait, what does that mean? Did you really? <laughs> cause I was yeah, like, cause Temple it just Doom, said, yeah. Yeah. It said Kali yeah. Ma. I was Ma. like, <laughs> Kali Ma. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's revealed that that storm like put Wahlberg thousands of years into the future. Um, it's revealed that the planet started uh, with the space station crashing um, onto this planet, and 
uh, the apes that are on the ship, like the trained apes, basically overpower the humans and take them over. Um, and then when they come out from the space station, all these humans have come to like see Wahlberg as like this big revolutionary character. Um, and like I wrote down that I like the spin on the origin story of the planet that the movie uses. Like I thought that was a pretty cool yeah, idea. It's not bad. Um, but I I also thought it's like it's not really what sci-fi is about. <laughs> it's just like a twist. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. a twist. And that's it. Um, and then like this is the furthest a human has ever gotten towards escaping apes that he's like a godlike figure now to humans. Like he's barely done anything. I, I don't what understand. Has he done? Like he's been released from, he didn't have to fight or like anything. Like he's just like, he can, he can no, get he just ran water. away. <laughs> this, this got it. This one got a really good laugh for me. Wahlberg gets on a horse, like surrounded by all the people. And this is like, you know, the classic like pre-battle scene where like you know they like make like the big Aragorn speech um and he gets on the horse and looks around and goes all right everyone's got to scatter <laughs> like he's just like all right everyone start running away <laughs> like, <laughs> like using this big moment to like there's no there's no Frodo like, right, moment it's just <laughs> guys well, guys we gotta book it <laughs> like um and like Wahlberg's like blaming himself as responsible for all this because they came searching for him and that's how they landed on the planet. Um, and like Helena Bottom Carter at this point, like has got branded as a human by the Tim Roth character, like with that like mm-hmm. physical brand. Right. Um, and so like, she's trying to like relate to him now and it's like supposed to be like a heartfelt moment between them that falls like super flat. <laughs> And I was like, what's even the well, again, point? You just think um, she wants a taste of the old human. Uh, you know. Yep. <laughs> like, so it just. <laughs> you know. It just doesn't work. Um, right. Um, so then like right before the battle, Wahlberg discovers that like the thrusters on the ship are still working. Like there's still like a small remainder of fuel left in the ship. So he like comes up with a plan. Um, and then like suddenly this teenage boy that's been kind of just like hanging out the whole time has an arc. And I'm like, what's <laughs> happening right now? He's barely even been referenced. And suddenly he's like, you got to let me up there to fight. And it's like, at what point was this established? Like just remembered then, that Lucius was like, Oh, we need one of those. <laughs> right. And then Wahlberg was like, Wahlberg wasn't doing the classic thing where that he's like, no, you're just a kid. Okay. You can't do it. Um, he basically was like, no, like I get that you can, but we need you like back here to help out over here. And that kid was like, I can do it. You'll see. And he like goes up to the front line with the main people. And then his horse just falls (laughs) and he's like stuck there. And Wahlberg has to go rescue him. I just wrote down in my notes. I was like, stupid idiot kid ruins everything. Like, why did you do that? That was so pointless. This, yeah, that's another thing I don't remember. I think I was zoned out by that point. <laughs> so as soon as this like first wave of ape soldiers gets close enough to them, Mark Wahlberg turns on all the thrusters and just blows their whole shit up. <laughs> like he really like you would have thought half the army was dead the way they made this scene look. <laughs> But then it doesn't actually kill them. It was just a distraction, basically. <laughs> and then all the humans just start come up, in, coming up and start, like, hitting them. Like, 
this was the big idea. <laughs> and then uh the the butler human dies and we get a full on Wilhelm scream. Do you remember that? Oh vaguely, yeah. <laughs> Cause it literally just like ah! I was like, Oh hell yeah, full on Wilhelm scream in here in a in a two thousand and one movie. Um and then like so there there are some action sequences that are like okay in this like final battle. Like it's not terribly done. Um and then we see another pod from that ship come flying through the air and everyone just kind of stops and waits. Um, now what I thought was going to happen because I had done that research and saw what Tim Burton had said about the movie ending that it was like, Oh, like it wasn't supposed to make sense. It's supposed to be a cliffhanger for a possible sequel or whatever. When it's just a flash in the sky and you don't see the pod yet. I thought like that's where the movie was going to end. I was like, (laughs) Oh, like this is what, this is a big cliffhanger. What is it? Nope. Uh, it flies through the air and lands in the middle of the battle, and everyone's just sort of stopping to wait to see what happens. And it's uh, Wahlberg's chimp that got lost in the electromagnetic <laughs> storm from the beginning of the movie. And th- all the apes believe that this is like the ape god that has like come back to bring peace. Like it's literally yeah, like yeah. Jesus coming back to them is this ape, and I'm like they. But yeah, they had no they had no question in their minds so that that was it right there. Um, so I have a series of notes here that are really funny to just sort of say as they are written down. So in this part of the movie, if you remember, um, Wahlberg like takes the chimp out of there and they start like walking around, like walking towards the. Or they, I don't even remember where they're going. They're just kind of walking around. And then the chimp runs into the space station and he has to follow him. Um, and then the Tim Roth character goes in there with him. They like start fighting. And right before he's about to get shot, like he traps him in like the little command center and he can't get out. <laughs> and he like starts shooting that gun around and it and just bounces off the walls. He to keep shooting it. He shot that gun like 50 <laughs> times just running around the room. It's like, how is he not getting hit? But so like, <laughs> At first, he accidentally, uh, accidentally, maybe not, but he shot the chimp. Um, and then the chimp kind of like goes back into this little like corner as everything with Tim Roth gets resolved. And then Mark Wahlberg just goes and gets the chimp, and the chimp is fine. Um, but my series of notes here was that is one cute chimp. And then I wrote down <laughs> military chimp kills him, question mark, frowny face. <laughs> military chimp gets trapped and dies never mind he's okay smiley face <laughs> and i was like oh good we're not actually killing the chimp that would have been a real bummer i like to think that was right in the script notes for tim burton <laughs> yep never mind so he he's okay of, smiley he got the face. script he was wondering hmm, how should i do this <laughs> um yeah so then I also had written down, is there a way out from the inside? Because I was like, <laughs> Tim Roth is not trying that at all. He's just like, well, I'm stuck here now. Let's <laughs> yeah, just go crawl. I guess I'm, guess I'm dead. Um, Which he must find a way out. <laughs> right. So yeah. they keep the... So this is like, they also establish like, Tim Roth has been like lying about the history of this all along. Like they lived in peace and blah, blah, blah. And so they decide to keep the chimp and live in peace as apes and humans. And Mark Wahlberg's just going to leave on the pod. Like 
why wouldn't you take the chimp with you? <laughs> why are you making him stay there? He doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> but anyway, they keep the chimp, and he flies away in the pod that the chimp brought uh, and flies right back into the electromagnetic storm. Now, here's what Just I want to... Just assuming it's going to land him right back in time. Right. Here's what I want to understand about that. Were they way, way, like, in nowhere, like, in no man's land in space on that other planet where he couldn't get back to Earth that way? Probably not, right? Yeah. They certainly don't make it clear. I don't know. Either way. (laughs) He definitively knows he's going back to Earth, specifically Washington, D.C. I don't know why Washington, D.C. Well, I guess we know, actually. He lands right in front of Lincoln Memorial, which is not actually the Lincoln Memorial. It's a FAA airspace is telling him where to land. (laughs) <laughs> right and then you you find out the lincoln memorial is actually a memorial for tim roth's military chimp character and then the movie ends with mark Wahlberg getting arrested by a bunch of ch- uh bunch ape of, cops bunch of, yeah a bunch of gorilla cops <laughs> and here's what i don't understand it seems pretty definitive that the planet he spends most of the movie on is not earth and then he goes back to Earth, and Earth is referencing a character from that other planet. Yeah, which makes you think somehow Tim Roth's character was able to like, do some sort of time warp. Was able to follow back, him to Earth in some way? Well, but get there earlier in time. It's nothing. Somehow Let, let's just stop over. right now. It's nothing. <laughs> like This ending makes zero sense. <laughs> It's like they were trying to put themselves in a corner before making the sequel. Like, they had no idea how they were going to do it. Like, right. they thought they were the Breaking Bad writers. <laughs> like, right. Like, write it's, yourself into a corner. It's almost, like, way out. it's almost like those contradicting Tim Burton quotes were said at the exact same time. And he's like, I want someone else to direct it with that as the ending of the first one. <laughs> like, just really to screw the next director. Right. Um,. I mean that's it, right? What I mean, what else is there to talk about? I no, you hit all the points. I I can't think of anything else to say on it. It it's it's just not good. Yeah. I uh um, well, so, I mean I don't I don't mind some of the uh James Franco version ones. Those are okay. No, those are like definitively um, good movies. And it like yeah. uses the it uses the uh universe of the original. Rather than right, the like it just gives this backstory one. to how exactly it happened, right? Not, um, which I guess in essence actually kind of takes away from the original. <laughs> it does a little bit because <laughs> they're claiming yeah. it just is all based on a virus instead of humans destroying the planet, and right? Everything. But, um, but no, this one is just, um, I, yeah, like what you said. What else is there to say? <laughs> right. I mean, so we don't even need to do this part, but we'll do it anyway. I mean. Classic versus reboot. Which one is better? Very clearly classic. Yeah. I mean, as, 100%. We can put, as part of the poll, as part of this pilot, we can put out a poll. I think it's pretty obvious which one's going to win, but we still can. And um, you know what? If any of you vote the Mark Wahlberg version, why don't you go ahead and press the unsubscribe button to this podcast? <laughs> why don't you just stop listening? How about we don't that? want you. We'll drop our subscriber base from four to three. I don't care. Um, but I mean the other the other question I think is a little more debatable. 
I think we'll have the same answer, but I think it's more debatable. Was this reboot worth doing? Oh, no. <laughs> I, I don't think so either. No, it just doesn't... Um, everyone loves Planet of the Apes. They made sequels after it, apparently. So people had gotten their fill of it already. That that was how I felt. Like, yes, this movie is a reimagining. It, it's, it really just takes the very general conceit of human from Earth goes to mysterious land where apes are the advanced ones and they enslave humans. Like it, it takes that general conceit and goes a totally different way with it. Yeah. Which I'm glad that it wasn't shot for shot, but still unnecessary. Yeah. No, when they call this movie planet of the apes, that's literally all there is to it. <laughs> yeah. This, this, yeah, exactly. It's much less complicated. Um, oh, it's just an ape planet. <laughs> so, I mean, Yeah. Uh, we can wrap it up there. We personally think classic is better. Reboot was completely unnecessary. Um, and on that note, we are going to put those polls out uh, on Twitter this week. So that's going to be at, at any ideas podcast on Twitter um, and any ideas on Facebook. It'll be going there as well. And I'm really going to stress this week that we go to the polls and here's why. Um this is going to be the first time where I am putting out polls on our pilots. So our first five pilots, we're going to officially have polls going out uh, for whether or not you people out there feel that it should be the permanent podcast. Um, now, that's not going to be the only factor that goes into play. Um, they'll all be separate polls rather than all in one poll. Um, so it's not just going to be percentage of votes for yes. It's going to be how many people voted for it. Um, we'll be taking into account um, the analytics on how many people actually listen to those. Uh, we'll be taking into account how we feel about them, the amount of work that goes into each one, because that's important as well. Um, so on that note, please make sure you go out and vote this week because it's going to be a big one. It's going to be very important for the future of the podcast. Um, and for- <laughs> it sounds like you're talking about like... Uh- presidential voting or something yeah i'm, I'm taking it very seriously um, yeah we'll pass out uh, stickers that you voted yeah there you go um but i mean as always please rate review subscribe and tell your friends um you can also email us at the any ideas pod at gmail.com um with questions concerns um and until next week remember uh life is full of second chances but sometimes you only need the one 